I'm currently recording this episode on a squeaky bed in a cheap motel room in Lima, Montana. Population, a whopping 180 people. The CDT and Tour Divide go through this town, making hikers and cyclists more than ready to get off the trail and consume as much food as possible, which is exactly what I've been doing. There are only two places to eat here, though. One place is called Jan's, which is a cute little diner owned by Jan herself. She's been running the place for over 27 years, and after getting crushed last year throughout COVID, her diner is a hot spot for all outdoors combined. I've eaten there twice, and their breakfast is insanely delicious and filling. I'm grateful because I'm not actually alone in this town. If you listened to last season, you may remember me talking about a good friend of mine named Liz, who I hired as a coach a few months ago to train me for the CDT. Liz is an ultra endurance bike racer, cyclist, she's a doctor in physical therapy, she holds several FKTs, and she is a coach providing a holistic approach to adventure and the outdoors. She's also the first person that made me realize that I didn't have to hide my mental health when I was in the backcountry. And after some shakedown trips that we did together before I left for this adventure, I've really grown to trust and love her so much, more than just a coach. A few days ago, Liz met me on trail and has been cycling south with me for the last few days and plans on doing it for the next few weeks. We both forgot our bear spray <laughs> on the bikes. Okay, so wait, rock, paper, scissors, shoot? Yeah, so okay. one. And at best out of one. Best out of one? Yeah, dude. We're just going for broke? Yeah, you just oh my go God, for I'm it. I'm so nervous. I know, ready? Okay. Okay, ready? Okay. Okay, wait, I can't even see it. Don't change it. Okay. Okay. Ready, go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ah! Oh, no, we have to do it again. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh! Yes! Mine's in my, my bike handlebar. Oh, how far away is your bike? Am I right there? It's right there. I think mine's Dude, I love rock, paper, scissors, shoot. That's how I make all d difficult decisions that I don't want to make. And that's a communication skill, folks. Welcome to Mental Health Monday. <laughs> the other person I'm sharing this tiny room with is Alex and her two fluffy, perfect dogs, Leroy and Moose. Just to remind you, Alex is shuttling my bike to the different sections when it's time for me to make the switch from bikepacking to hiking, which is why she is here now. We're about to start the Yellowstone section, and because it's a national park, we have to walk instead of bike, which will be a nice change up after the last two weeks of cycling. I haven't seen Alex in over a week, and after two weeks of personal stuff that came up on the trail, her bright hair and contagious laugh feels so comforting to be around. I really love these women. There's no bullshit between us, and we trust the words that come out of one another's mouths, which sounds like an obvious thing you would do among friends, but lately I've been learning more about the doubt I carry around people that I, in quotes, trust. This is the second episode of the Underneath It All Trail series, a podcast that tells the stories of a holistic approach to an outdoor adventure as I attempt to bikepack, backpack from Canada to Mexico. My hope is that by bringing you on the trail and sharing these conversations between me and a few others, you can learn how to have conversations about your mental health with people you trust, you can have a better understanding of others around you, learn to accept and fully embrace your truest narrative, and continue breaking the negative stigma that has engulfed mental health.
I mean, I feel like it's hit me that I'm leaving you. Mm. Um, so I'm pretty sad. And, um... <laughs> yeah, I wish it hit me before you left. It always hits me after you leave. And then I can't prepare for, like... I can't be like, oh, one last hug or something because you're already gone. So it's... Yeah. I don't know how to... Like, I would... Even this time, because usually I'm like... I just ignore the fact you're leaving until, like, two weeks after you're gone. And then I get in, like, a routine and then I just ignore it for the next like four months and then you're back do you mean that you ignore yeah i just don't acknowledge the fact that you're gone it's definitely a coping mechanism but this time i wanted to like i did better on the at i tried but then i was just so distracted with work and stuff i didn't really get to process any of it mm. but this time i tried and i just don't know if i have that tool set to like I guess open up that internal conversation and I don't even know what it is. It still doesn't feel like you're leaving, but I know you are. That's my husband, Eric. We've been together for over four years and our relationship is a part of my life that I'm really grateful for and honestly proud of, which I don't mean in a cocky way. Eric and I are far from perfect and we don't claim to be experts in relationships in any way. But we are very much in love, and we've worked a lot on our mental health personally and also as a couple. Honestly, I was kind of nervous to share about my relationship with E because he is so important to me and it feels vulnerable to share such an intimate part of my life with other people. But after receiving all of the questions about how to have conversations about mental health with your partner or how to do long distance and how to be in a relationship without becoming codependent, I thought I'd share a piece of our love story with the help of our friend Alex, who will be asking the questions throughout the conversation. Pursuing mental wellness has meant learning how to navigate intimate relationships, which I personally can't live without. As much as a loner as I like to be, I need community, but not just any community, a community that values mental wellness, communication, boundaries, and I feel genuinely comfortable with. I think to start any conversation or any journey along, especially mental health, I think for me the biggest thing was just comprehending and coming to the reality that mental health is a real thing that is that I never knew about. Like I've been to th therapy for like traumatic events and whatnot, but that was like that was like going to get you physical. Like you just go in, get it, you're out. And they check it off the box, and you're like, yeah, I dealt with that. But I think you brought it to an everyday uh, torture at first. <laughs> I like, was like, why do I have to deal with this every day? It's like only this is something I go through like every six months if I need it kind of thing. But I guess that like having respect for mental health was a huge lead into any of the, like, the future of my mental health. Yeah, I feel like because I didn't have a choice and I was I mean this was what four years ago now I didn't really feel like I had a choice on hiding it at that point because I had just left the church and had just started really realizing a lot of things that I was doing was really really unhealthy and also that my brain and my mind were not good and so it was kind of that realization that mental health was very, very much real to me. And that's kind of when I, right before I met Eric. So I knew that this was real to me 
and I knew I had to deal with this shit. And the only way I was going to be able to actually stay true to that was talking about it pretty much all the time, um, which was a lot for him. Like our first few months of dating was really freaking hard. And it was a lot of it is because I felt like I was trying to convince him of what was happening to my brain and my body and all of this. And he was trying so hard to understand, but we were coming from such different angles and completely different upbringings that it was really hard to compromise. But for some reason, we just kept working through it. I can say that pretty much all of our fights stemmed from stubbornness and uh, like avoidance of conflict and not having the trust. There was trust was a huge thing. Like you never trusted me and that frustrated me. Mm-hmm. But like I didn't do anything to earn that trust. I just felt like I deserved it. I always believed that someone was right or wrong. And I think that until you like until I resolved that idea that it's like it's okay to disagree. It's okay not to get to like a place of comfort and a place that one person's happy that we stopped really fighting. Because now we, we do have like tiffs and arguments and we do have fights, but they're not. They stay way more neutral. We're not trying to like shift blame. And I think we're trying to understand what we may be projecting onto one another. And at that time, all we were doing was projecting our past trauma onto one another. I have no insecurities. <laughs> um. <laughs> Like, what did you struggle with my mental health? Like, what was so hard about dealing with my mental health for you? I think it, I don't know, it's, it's really tough to go back into that mindset, but a lot of it was just the fixer in me. It's like, even though I don't understand anything you're going through and I probably wasn't listening, I just, like, think I knew how to fix it. And so I would, like, and I still do this today sometimes, but, like, I just figured I could just throw out a solution and then you wouldn't accept that solution because you weren't even looking for one. And then that would frustrate me and set me off like I wasn't good enough for something. So that's probably the biggest insecurity of like, I can't fix this this girl and now I'm a failure. And so... It's like... Yeah, because I feel like a lot of arguments are just banter and they're not real. And I think I always, I've always had a problem with that. So every time that it gets to this point where we're not even talking about anything, I'm like, what is happening? Like, I just don't understand. And I feel like I never settled for just like, I'm, I'm just in a bad mood or like, that's not the reason why. Like, there's obviously something else underneath this. And I feel like I never, I mean, he's the only person I've ever wanted to know what was going on underneath it, which is part of the reason why I think it worked is because I feel like he was the most genuine person that I had met at that time. It didn't feel like he was trying to be a dick. He didn't feel like he was trying to abandon me. It felt like he was trying to work on it. I saw what he could be and believed in it, And but that is very dangerous with the wrong people, right? But also he was, he was meeting me halfway too. Like he was trying and I think that's why it made it work is because we were both trying so hard to meet one another halfway. The time apart from one another, I think, was a huge, 
huge thing because we would be like, we weren't even dating a year and I left for the PCT and asked him to, to watch Rue. <laughs> Things happened really, really fast for us, but it was the fact that I had to deal with my own emotions by myself. And I think the fact that we've always prioritized working on ourselves by ourselves. Yeah, it's a lot because I think it's like, again, answering questions about like specific, it seems like there'd be a specific answer to this question. Like it's so black and white, but it really is just like, it seems like a lifetime of small questions here and there. And I think that that has really helped is not taking it all on at once. We're, there's a lot of times when we, when we, <clears throat> when we're in conflict and we just have the resolution that we're not going to get through it today and might not do it next week, but it's just something we're going to have to chip off a lot, like chip, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. Work on it a little bit, little bit every day. And I think, like, there's big, big things that we did, like identify those huge issues. And for us, I think both of it was trust. Like, trust was a huge article that we had to address. And then there was just, like once we could do that, then we could start those conversations in a better setting. I think it's just a small building blocks of communication. Right, because they're like the first reaction is also like a lack of trust, and that's not what we feel towards one another, but that's what we bring from our past. So it made it really difficult to communicate with one another because we're both living from a, or we're both reacting from a place of the past rather being aware of the trust that we have with one another. Like instead of being like, dude, you're being a piece of shit right now, or like stop getting so angry or stop doing this, it'd be like, <laughs> I feel like when you raise your voice at me, it makes me feel like I'm not enough for you. This is one of those like wordy things that I was trying to get at. They, they definitely helped though. I, I couldn't, I still think I need a lot of work at it because I, I just think it's really hard to talk through emotions than it is to talk objectively. I don't think that's something that I was ever taught or even aware of. It really is so much trust, but, but that's because we have reasons to trust each other too. Yeah, I think you have to build trust. I don't think it just happens. It definitely takes time. I think that trust comes from a ton of tiny little victories, not, mm. not necessarily like this one epic conversation or mm. event. I feel like it's so important to talk about the fact that we've seen our own therapist for so long too. Like we've, yeah. we've worked on ourselves so that we don't have to project our fears and our shit onto one another so that we can respond appropriately to one another. Because if we didn't have that as our base for both of us, I mean, I don't think we would be as strong as we are. I think figuring out what conversations are appropriate for relationship and what are appropriate for a professional. There's points where you're like, stop emotionally dumping on me. And I'm like, I thought I was just venting. It's like, no, you are you need help. And then you would do the same. Like, there'd be weeks where you do this stuff to me. And I'm like, why aren't you talking to your therapist about this? Like, I'm not, this is not myself, dude. You're, I'm over my head and now I'm exhausted. And also, too, like, going to therapy separately to, like, work on your guys' own things, I think is something that so many 
couples actually need to look at. Just dealing with all the stuff that you bring to a relationship. So many times the issues in relationships are so rooted in your past traumas and things. It's not even about you guys necessarily. Like this relationship is horrible and we fight. It's like you're doing it because you're bringing your past into it. Knowing that your partner is not your everything is so important as well. Like I don't expect Eric to be my therapist. Like he was saying, like to expect your partner to be there and to respond (laughs) to your past in an appropriate way is like asking them to understand and asking them to empathize appropriately. It's like asking so much of someone that wasn't there. Doing your own separate therapy is so important just to like get healthier for yourself. And then I think couples therapy is a very different realm of things. Mm -hmm. And like I've done couples therapy as well and it was so hard doing it I realized that it was not helpful for the actual issues it was exactly that where we had our own things and our own problems that needed to be worked on separately but because it was affecting our relationship so much we thought like couples therapy like let's go to therapy together and we were like working on things that it was it was never going to work we needed to do our separate work first I think couples therapy comes in when it's like We've been together for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. and we're having trouble seeing eye to eye on certain things and bringing a third party in. I think when you work on yourself, it's kind of like, as someone that doesn't read as fast as other people, I feel like it's always brought me a lot of stress to be like reading a page with somebody. And then like, you ready to turn the page? I'm like, no. And then you're like, okay, I'll just pretend that I finished it so I feel like I'm not less than. And imagine that in therapy. How are you supposed to make this, like a relationship work if you don't have the tools yourself? Like it's, it's work, you know, so you need tools. Try it out if you don't like it. Then don't, then just do one session, do two sessions, like, and see if anything positive comes out of it. How do you guys give each other space to like have your own projects and your own passions without feeling like neglected or you know like not included like because you guys both have very different hobbies and activities and I think it's really important that you have those separate spaces but how do you guys navigate through something like that or how like even advice that you would give to other people about how important that is. I was just thinking about how bad we used to be at it. We used to really, we're both, I mean not bad, we're both just really, we both came out of very controlling relationships I feel like, so I think that like the relationship controlled us and we both came from giving so much and not really receiving and I think we were both so fucking tired of that when we met that we were both very much pursuing our own passions. I think the ultimate respect of like, well, if you want this dream, you should go ahead and finish it and vice versa. I think there was a lot of patience and I think a lot of trust was built because, you know, we we did want to invest in each other, even though our, like, our dreams did not um, cross paths at all. But I think we've always supported each other like pretty much unconditionally. I think where our relationship differs is that we're both extremely creative people and it's actually tougher to get us back together than it is to, like, 
if you, Grizz, Grizz is like, oh, I learned how to mountain bike. It's like, do it! And knowing that this is going to cause us like to be in a long distance or more time away. And I think what we struggle with is actually coming back together and be like, we just missed date night for the second week in a row. Like, what's going on? I know, I think we constantly check in. I think that's probably one of our strengths that we've done since the beginning is I don't feel scared to tell Eric how I feel. So when he was working nonstop on the house, that was really hard for me because I did feel neglected and I felt really needy and I felt really insecure. Like I didn't, I didn't feel wanted, but I didn't ever hold that in. So we would just have open conversations constantly about how we were feeling and just checking in with that. And even just like last week, you know, I was so, so, so busy. And Eric called me and was like, I, I didn't call him back or something. And um, he answered and he was like, I just want you to know I'm like a little bit insecure right now. And like, that's the reason why I'm sad that you didn't call me back. But that's like the fact that he's able to say, I feel insecure. Like that is so beautiful, babe. Not beautiful that you feel that way, but that you can actually acknowledge and say that to me. And then I can be like, oh my gosh, he's insecure. What can I do to meet him? How can, what can I do to make him feel more appreciated? I mean, I feel like it was a lot of, me realizing that I was emotionally dumping. I mean, there was a point where you said to me that I, it was too much for you, and that was last year, and I was just like dumping and dumping. I was so emotional and like felt like I needed to talk to him about everything, and and he was like getting more snappy at me, and like I was like so confused, and then finally to figure out, he's like, I just feel like this has been too much for me, and he's a nine, so he can't deal with that stuff. And me understanding that he can't and not taking it personal, like it's just who he is. And like knowing who your partner is and accepting that, it's not like you're trying to be passive aggressive to me. You just, like it takes you a while to think things through and feel things as well. How do you guys translate like all of those tools that you have when you're together to when you're on the trail? I don't think I do get well with it. I'm talking two-dimensionally through a satellite to somebody and even though I know what's on the other end and like the pictures and videos help and stuff but over the phone you don't have those tools like I have to build another tool set which honestly we just don't we don't have enough time when you're away like when we when you're away it's it's literally like touch and go like mm -hmm. I've got an hour of service and like I have 10 minutes of time because I'm working and so in 10 minutes you're not going to like the reality is you're not going to get that work done. Honestly, we're, we're not very good at long distance. Like we're really bad at it. And I, I'm hoping that's kind of why we set it up the way that we did anyways, so that it wouldn't be as difficult for both of us. I know how hard it is for him to, cause he is a lot more physical than me. And I think I'm so, and I want to share the experiences with him and no, I can't. So that's really hard for me. I don't even want to talk about it because you weren't even here and like I so it's a lot of times like we have a difficulty conversing and he doesn't yeah he doesn't like to want to talk about emotions over the phone because it's not enough it's not tangible enough this time like I have set some weeks apart like aside already to come visit I'm not going to just throw away these next four months and be like wishing that you were here or like I'm going to do stuff that I want to do and I'm going to try to come visit and like because I want to see you but like my life can't just be on hold and I think that's the biggest problem with distance is you're like well I was so codependent on that person so now that I don't have that like my life is going to fall apart 
and I, I really want to work on that. Again, it's just such a small percentage of the actual communication that you get in person. I think you guys are, have like a really good foundation set up for how this is going to work. Yeah, and in the past, like those trails brought out insecurities of both of us, right? So we were projecting onto one another anyway. When you were having like arguments before and you were so stuck on like who's to blame and who's right and who's wrong, it's kind of the same thing. Like once you realize that there's no right and wrong in arguments, but there's also no right and wrong in like feelings and there's no right mm-hmm. way to feel or right way to address it. Like just coming to realization that we all are, this is like so trite to say, but like we're all different. I truly have never believed that. Mm-hmm. Like it's not until recently I'm like you actually are different than me the Enneagram just off the bat is a good explanation of oneself and I think it's it was nice to hear how everybody is different and how everybody is similar coming to the conclusion that there is a difference in people and the way they deal with everything and you can't just make one problem solve for all and knowing that we're different with our mental health struggles as well I think that's a very real thing We'll be right back. Over the last three years, I've been working to integrate mental health into the outdoor space, and it's had its fair shares of ups and downs. Even with my master's in psychology and practicing as a therapist, mental health topics are highly stigmatized, and because the conversations are difficult and nuanced to have, many brands struggle with opening Pandora's mental health box. One of the reasons I'm so proud to work with Solomon is their approach to improving a diverse representation of folks, including race, gender, sexual orientation, size, ability, and mental health illnesses. A huge reason why we don't see more people of color in the outdoors is because many of us don't have the mental health tools that are necessary to be back in the backcountry without fear of a mental health crisis. Those of us who are in the backcountry often pretend that our trauma doesn't exist putting us in dangerous situations. If we want to diversify the outdoors in a safe and mindful way, mental health topics need to become more approachable and accessible if people are going to get the help they need. Our stories need to take on new movements, and through the magic of nature and support from Solomon on our storytelling, we hope to do just that. Check out the show notes to have full access to different mental health resources, and check out how Solomon is doing the work to continue diversifying the outdoor space. We've like got the burning question. Where are the what burning question? How do you keep the romance alive? Oh yeah, I saw that, <laughs> that one. How do you keep the romance alive on trail? Honestly, it's not something I really think about. I think it just comes naturally, and at least I do. Um, yeah, you're very naturally romantic. I think it's been like for me, it's about being intentional. Like date nights to me mean a lot. Being present for those like little moments like throughout the day or like once a week whatever it is but you're not going to be romantic if you're not if you don't feel the connection it's like just a small conversation of truth or like Mm -hmm. touching in touching base and then touching in (laughs) I mean for me it's space I feel like I need a lot of space to feel romantic I like to feel pursued so Part of feeling pursued is having space from the person. Time is really important to me because I will, if I'm with somebody, I will take care. Of, I'll take care of them, and I don't know how to turn that off very well. And so, having space away from him helps me just be like, oh, this is what it's like to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And then, 
when he pursues me, I feel like I'm also a lot ready, more ready to receive his love because I feel a lot better and it's not coming from a place of insecurity or even like habitual caregiving because that's definitely my MO. When you feel down, how do you deal with it with your husband? I'm in a long distance relationship and it's a big reason why I get depressed. I feel like if you wanna be in a long distance relationship, you really have to be on the same page with the other person. There are so many nuances and so many like little things that could fucking happen that like, I feel like I don't have, I, I wouldn't expect as much from my partner from a long distance relationship. It's never gonna be the same relationship in person as it is long distance. There has to be so much more understanding. Like if there is conflict or like, like a uh, disagreeance, like you just gotta be more patient and know that you might not get resolution. I feel like self-soothing is like the most important thing in a long distance relationship. There oftentimes are no solutions and that's really shitty, but that's why you can't expect too much from your partner, but also if that partner isn't making like effort and like not trying, like you can, you, you know, when someone's not making effort. It's such a more difficult situation to navigate because you can't just say to somebody long distance, you're not supporting me. And then they say, yes, I am like, you know, cause it's like, it's, how are you supposed to meet? And it's like, I feel like you'd have to have really specific ways of like, I need these things from you to feel supported. Like, how can we make that work? And knowing what the other person needs in long distance, I think. Like, he is really big on trying to set a, some form of schedule. Of like, when can you talk? Because he wants to know and prepare so that he feels as present as he can. And I'm really bad at that. Knowing how to support one another and things that we don't like that we do and then things that work. Being intentional into where, like how you enter a conversation, not knowing what the other person just went through for however long a time mm -hmm. it was until you last talked. So you might have hiked your biggest peak and had the best day ever and I got, you know, shot with a nail gun or something. Like things are, we're still coming together like we would have, but you don't have any awareness. And mm -hmm. so I think I, I don't know who goes first in it, like good news or bad news, <laughs> but I think being responsive and understanding that your days were different and that's okay but like how you can come together on it mm -hmm. without like you know stealing the wind out of your sails or like not being there whichever seat you're in yes. what are you gonna miss most about being here like what are you gonna miss most about home dogs and sleeping with me in the bed. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think, yeah, the dogs are really like, it's really hard. And I feel like I've kind of processed the whole Willow thing growing up um, because I feel so strong about Rue and Frida that like, I'm almost like in my heart, just like this is good for me that I don't have yet another insanely attached dog to me that will be even more attached just because she's a baby. <laughs> and I think because of how I feel towards Rue and Frida, like I think it's like, I'm just like trying to see it like that, I guess, but I can't deny like it, it's really hard for me to think about. I think I'm gonna miss that feeling 
of safety and like having my little nooks in the house and I've never had that but and like I know I'm gonna crave it a lot <laughs> especially because I haven't like a lot of the trauma that I've processed has been in this house and so part a lot of the trauma that I've addressed and the safety places that I've created are here and so the fact that I'm not going to have that to feel safe out there and I'm only going to have my mind <laughs> and like what's on my back or what's on my bike like I think I'm going to I think I'm going to be scared to accept that but I want to try to feel that form of safety in myself that's like the goal what advice would you give to someone who's struggling to cope with their partner's mental health I'm willing to work with you but like what are you gonna like what responsibility are you going to take and I mean I still struggle with this because we're both struggling with our own mental health in very different ways addressing what you said like can I live with this and I know he's doing his best and I know that he's seeking like he's doing all the action steps that make it worthwhile for me and like and he's open that's a really fucking hard question because that's considering chemical imbalances that's considering like what trauma they have to process like i mean there's so much to that even if you're talking in blanket statements to your partner of like like hey you're feeling i know i know she's feeling this or that and then i'm just starting the conversation to address the fact that mental health should be taken seriously and not in like a a, like a hippy dippy way like yeah. or you know it's it is science and I think it's like also not to I feel like a lot of people look at relationships as it should be this fair equal participation or even equal communication but that's not taking into you're not taking into account that we have such different narratives and like what happened to me is very different than what happened to you and some things are going to take longer for me to process than what's going to take for you to process as well and to be respectful of just even those boundaries. A lot of people, the way they talk about therapy is this super intense thing and it doesn't have to be that way if you're not ready for that and like it can be exactly what you need it to be. The more you both learn, the more you can help each other out with it. Okay, rapid fire uh, questions, Eric. Are you ready? Sure, yeah. What would your theme song be? Ooh, I don't know, something from the funk era. Oh, actually, Dance Yourself Clean has just been like a, from LCD sound system. It's a song that goes through all parts of my life and good memories. What's your most embarrassing moment? I don't know, this is kind of probably gross, but anyway, I was a kid and I was pooping and I... I was at my neighbor's house, and I—I uh, I think this is probably like the first time I've actually felt embarrassment. That's why I'm saying it. And mm. anyway, always a creative kid, loved like, you know, expressing myself or whatever. But I was—I uh, decided that day it would be better instead of pooping like a regular person, I would stand on the toilet seat and poop like drop bombs. <laughs> and I'm dropping bombs, dude. I'm like, <laughs> it's landing. And I'm feeling good about it because I'm a kid and I'm like, this is a great way to poop. Like, you can feel like, I get it. you know, like, yeah. 
This is way funner. And then my friend's mom walked in. How do you explain yourself? <laughs> hey, I'm just... Hey, Beth, I'm just dropping bombs over here, like, close the door on your way out. Anyway, we never actually talked about it to this day. Uh, what's the strangest food you've ever eaten? Uh, first time I had Indian food. I had, like, a bread thing that was also, like, a beach ball. And, you know, it's, like, puffed up. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even know how to eat it. And I was like, man, this is crazy. I still know what it's called, but, like, it was, like, spicy and poofy, and it was delicious, but I had, like... Yeah, just the act of eating it. It was like, do I poke it? Do I just go for it? All right, nice. Um, we did, what's a weird quirk? I know Eric's quirks. When Eric gets uncomfortable, he says something really uh, uncomfortable. My subconsciousness is my weird quirk. Yeah. Also, if I do say weird things, it doesn't mean I'm uncomfortable. It just means I maybe didn't filter it. Um, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? I'm trying to think if I want to go like, because I think it's delicious or it's because it's sustenance sourdough bread if you had a superpower what would you choose I think like maybe the ability to talk to microorganisms <sighs> damn dude that's a good one in our episode we missed these questions so I guess we'll go around the table <laughs> what's the last lie that you told that I wanted to spend time with someone I didn't <laughs> yeah we'll see see you soon <laughs> yes wow it's so simple but I went to the bar and I got denied my ID because I have a temporary ID. And I was like, it's okay. I'm like, what I wanted to be like, it's not okay. This is a federal government ID. Why don't just scan it? I think probably the last lie I told myself was like, not caring about something that I cared about. Real. Wow. Like, I don't care. Moving on. And then I'm like, <laughs> What's the last text that you sent? Mine was, a friend wants to come visit, and he asked for my dates. I did send a text that was like, more texty, you know, more more of value for this question, but I don't have to share it, because the last text that I actually texted was you this morning, when you said we gotta start recording in 20 minutes, and I said cool with the thumbs up emoji. Nice. <laughs> Mine is noon is great to my therapist, which is in four minutes. Uh, what is your Enneagram? Why do you love it and why do you struggle with it? Mm, Enneagram 9, Peacekeeper. And I, I love it because I'm pretty chill when I am chill. I hate it because I'm chill because I avoid all of conflict. Wow, that was so perfectly said. <laughs> I am Enneagram 5. I High five. Hi, welcome. welcome. <laughs> Um, I don't love it that much. Um, <laughs> if I had to say something I liked about it, I guess that I am able to see things from a really logistic standpoint. Mm. Um, but that's also maybe something that I hate about it, too. Hi, I'm Four. I like that... You're already about to cry. <laughs> um... <laughs> I don't like that people don't understand me. That's probably the hardest thing about being a four. I feel very misunderstood. But I do like that I feel like when I'm healthy, I'm, when I'm happy and healthy, I feel like I'm the happiest person on the planet. But also, it's bad because when I'm like very sad, I'm like, I am very sad. <laughs> Last one. What is your favorite thing about yourself? I still think the favorite thing about myself would be... I think the 
unconditional joy from my laughter. Cause like I could watch a video of me laughing and laugh again and then make a video of that and laugh. It would just be like go on forever. I yeah. love laughing. I like how motivated I am. I'm very self-motivated and I, if I feel like I'm supposed to do something, I will like go above and beyond to make sure that I get to experience something. Gross, the favorite thing about myself as F. <laughs> um, maybe that I can be alone. Cool person to hang out with. Thanks, dude. Favorite thing about you, Grizz? Uh, I believe, I think it's your unconditional love. Your heart is truly like my favorite thing about you. I love you. I love you too, baby. Don't be cute. I love you, Eric. I am so proud to be your wife and your love for yourself and your love for me makes me want to be a better person and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you guys for listening. That is the episode. Um, in two weeks, we'll be joined by another close friend of mine and we'll be talking about how to balance the climate crisis with mental health. And in the meantime, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. It's a fast, free way to support the show, and it truly makes a difference in helping others to find us. If you want to interact with me and this community, make sure to find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at underneathitallpod. And you can follow my actual adventure on my Instagram at underscore Grizel underscore. Intro music is created by a two-person band, which includes myself. You can find our music on Spotify by searching Passiflora. Happy trails. <laughs>